to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Why don't you, I know you just sat down, but why don't we stand up? Y'all know we stand when we read the word, so why don't you do me a favor like the old church says and rest on your feet. Amen, somebody. Why don't you meet me in Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 15 as we continue our Built for Better series. Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 15. I'm going to read it for your hearing uh, this morning, then we're going to just go ahead and and jump in. If you're not there, um, it's on the screen behind me. Romans chapter six, 6, beginning at verse 15. Here's what the word of the Lord said. It says this, what then? Should we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. Now I am using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offered offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now... Offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification. And the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I could tag our text for this afternoon, I would simply say, give me what I paid for. Give me what I paid for. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. In your word, there is truth. In your word, there is life. In your word, there are promises for newness that is ours in Christ Jesus. And so, God, we pray that you would free us by your word this morning, that you would encourage us by your word this morning, that you would allow us to take hold of the new life that is ours when you saved us on that old rugged cross. And so, God, we pray that you would strengthen your people, equip us for the good works that you have made beforehand so that we might walk in it to the glory of God and to his son, Jesus Christ, we do pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Give me what I paid for. Studies show that the average adult makes about 35,000 conscious choices each day. That's 245,000 choices each week, 1,050,000 each month, 12,775,000 each year. That's a lot of conscious decisions that we make on a regular basis. Now, when taken by themselves, if we were to isolate each decision, each of them could be 
justified or understood or even accepted for what they are in face value. But over the days and, and months and, and years, those choices create a perfectly painted picture of who you are. It's a picture that we can see clearly. We can see it those late nights while you're wrestling with God and tears are rolling down your cheek. We can see it when you turn that movie on that wouldn't be considered porn, but you know exactly where the sex scenes are. We can see it when you feel that peace over yourself after you've extended forgiveness to someone who wronged you because you remember how much forgiveness has been extended to you. We can see it with the lies that you tell because you're afraid you're going to be rejected if people really find out who you really are. We can see it. Every choice, every decision, the pattern that is built up over time, we can see it. And each new choice is building the house that would either stand through a hurricane or be swept away by a stream. Whether good or bad, your decisions are building something. And Paul's going to tell us that what you've been building will reveal which master you've rendered your services to. Brings me to my first and only point, and I'm going to be out your way this morning. I know we preachers say that all the time, but I promise it's true today. First and only point, how you choose to live has eternal consequence. Very simple, very straightforward, but in this text is very potent for what, how you need to live as a believer. And if you don't know God through Jesus Christ, then it's very potent for what your future means if you don't know him. How you choose to live has eternal consequence. Paul in verse 15 reintroduces his thought from verse 1. And we dealt with verse 1 last week where it says that grace doesn't give us a license to sin. Paul is arguing uh, against this idea in verse 1 that we ought to continue sinning because then grace, we could continue getting more grace. If we keep sinning, then we get more grace. And so there was this thought out there that Paul was arguing against that said, no, we shouldn't just try to keep sinning so we can get more grace. And here in verse 15, Paul begins to bring up that same argument, but it's a little different. Because people have been saying, since we're no longer under the law, our sin really doesn't matter anyway. And so Paul is beginning to, to bridge these thoughts together that, that by no means, which means that for the Christian, the implication is that anybody who talks like this, anybody who thinks that their sin right now doesn't matter, that it doesn't have any effect on the Christian life, that you have because you've been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, that it doesn't matter how you live. He said, if you're a believer and you're thinking like that, then you're probably not a believer. If, if, if the, the, the overwhelming, like beautiful, vibrant grace of God has been extended to you, and the first thought in your mind is, how can I sin so that I can, because I know I'm going to be forgiven anyway, then you probably don't know what grace is. And so Paul here is trying to build this argument that, that, that grace drives us to the feet of Jesus. Great, grace, grace drives us to obedience to God. Grace gives us a sense of thankfulness and a disposition of thankfulness towards God for all that he's done. He says it's grace. 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 That is the very thing that should drive us far from sin. So he says, by no means, there's, there's, there's no way that this, this should be so among 
believer. See, the idea he's trying to come across is that, that grace does not free us to do anything we want. Like, like grace does not remove all of the boundaries that God has set up in the world. Freedom is not the exercise of unlimited boundaries. Rather, freedom means to be set free from the bondage of sin in order to live in a way that reflects the nature and character of God. Like, like, like we said last week, if, if you can't say no to sin, you're not free. See, we think of freedom as not being under the rule and reign of God and being able to do whatever we want, when we want, how we want. But, but, but listen here, if that's you, if you're under the sound of my voice and for you freedom has become doing whatever you want, when you want, how you want, you've tricked yourself into believing that you're not a slave to sin already. Because the fact that you can't say no to sin proves that you can't say yes to God, which means you already have your master. There's, there's no possibility of living without an allegiance to one of the two masters that Paul brings up in, in, in verse 16. He says, don't you know that if you offer, it's, it's, it's a voluntary, it's, it's active, it's, it's something that you do willingly. He says, don't you know that if you offer yourselves to, as an obedient slave, then you are a slave to the one you obey. Paul here puts the responsibility on us. He says, if you offer, then you, 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 don't, you don't just stumble into offering. This is, this is purposeful. Paul, Paul says that, that when, when you take the initiative to look out for sin, to engage in sin, to indulge in sin, he said when, when you offer, then you have voluntarily put yourself under the authority of another. You, you have voluntarily subjected yourself to the mastery of another. The moment that you say, each, each and every time you decide to sin, what you essentially are saying is that I relinquish any right that I have to choose to obey God so that I can obey my sins and my flesh. So Paul says, he says, don't you know this? Isn't, isn't this obvious already that when you choose to sin, you've made a master out of sin? You now have to obey its passions. You have to obey its commands. Says there's no possibility of living without an allegiance to one or the other. Like what one commentary says, he says, there is no absolute independence for man. Our nature requires us to serve some master. What Paul is trying to, to get the Roman Christians to understand is, is that when it comes to obeying God or indulging in sin, there is no middle ground. There is no such thing as straddling the fence for the believer. You are either obeying God or indulging in sin. There's no middle ground. See, we, we like to think that we can straddle the fence. Like that some are sometimes sin, but then our sometimes obedience to God means that we're, we're kind of we're playing both. No, no, no. That's, that's, you don't get to play the field. That's not how God sees this. You are either walking in obedience or you're walking away from him. Do you, do you feel the tension of that? Do you, do you get the sense of how serious God takes sin? That he would say, full obedience. It's either full obedience or no obedience. There's no such thing as partial. No such thing as partial. You either are submitting yourself to my will, 
based on what my word has told you. You're either walking with the purpose of trying to honor me with your life and with your body. You're either doing that or you're indulging or rejecting me. The, the beautiful thing about this, though, is the great thing about God is, man, man, he, he doesn't force us to obey him. Like, God doesn't, God doesn't strong arm us into obedience. He, he, he gives us a choice. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But for non-commandment keepers, it's already a proof positive that you don't love me. But, but, but I, I love it because, you know, you, you know if, you, if you got a good product, you, you don't got to discount it for nobody. For instance, like Chick-fil-A don't got no dollar menu. And, and they closed on Sundays. When, when you got a good product, you don't have to give stuff away. You, you, you don't have to trick people. You don't have to trick people to come in. Like, you, you don't have to water it down. When I go to Chick-fil-A, unless I got one of them little surveys I can fill out, like, if, if I go to Chick-fil-A, I got to pay full price. Right? Listen, that's, that's what Jesus does. Do you remember when he was talking to his disciples? And sometimes Jesus, Jesus he often says hard things. Because he, he wants to see how you're going to respond and how seriously you take his word when he says something you don't agree with. And so there was one time he's talking to his disciples, and he said to them, he said, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he was, he was talking about the crucifixion, and he was talking about faith in him. But they took that to mean cannibalism. And so the, the Bible says that, that a whole, all the disciples except the 12 left because the saying was too hard for him. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus didn't run over, oh, my bad. No, you misunderstood me, my bad. You, you, no, no, no. no, he didn't do that. He said, he said so y'all going to leave too? See, Jesus, Jesus knows what he's offering through the message of the gospel. Je Jesus knows how valuable the message of salvation by faith through grace is. And he knows how much you need it. He doesn't have to water it down or get you to strong or strong arm you to believe that you need it. He says, this is my word. You can take it or leave it. Yeah. He says, it's, a, it's, a, it's an obedience issue. He says, either it's, it's, leading to, it's sin leading to death or... It's obedience leading to righteousness. Get the, 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 the dramatic difference of choosing one or the other. Like, like this, the, these, are, these are juxtaposed to one another. He said either you're a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you're a slave to righteousness, which leads to life. He goes on to say, he says, verse 17, he says, but thank God. God. I, 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 I love that when that shows up in a text because typically, typically when that shows up in a text, like the author is outlining how terrible things are and how bad you have it and how much, uh, and like as Paul is saying here, how much of a slave to sin you were. See, when, you, when you're a slave to sin, there's no way out for you. You can't get yourself out. You, you can't earn yourself out. You, you can't get yourself together, but, but that, that but word is a conjunction. 
It, it means that there's a change that's about to happen. And Paul lets us know that the change is about to happen, but that change is not dependent upon you. Because he says, but God. Meaning that God is the source of what changed and why it changed. And then he says the disposition of, of what you're supposed to be like after you realize the change that took place that you couldn't bring about on your own is thankfulness. That's why he says, but thank God. Because there, there used to be a time where you used to have an old self. That's why he goes on and he says, but thank God that although you used to be, that means that, that, that there's something different that has taken place in you now as opposed to what you used to look like then. Which means the implication for the believer is when you have been saved by grace through faith and you are no longer a slave to sin, your life must look different. A Christian whose life is filled with sin is contrasted to the gospel. He says, he says you, you used to look like that. You used to be a slave of sin. You used to have a relationship with sin that because you have been bought, blood bought and purchased is different. He said it's, it's different. So the, the old you has now been made free, which means God has given you a new identity. And this new identity that God has given you is better than any identity you can give yourself. Because, you know, we try to give ourselves identity. We try to find things that give us value. We try to add to our lives things that give us worth. But here Paul, Paul is saying the, the new you that you are in Christ has nothing to do with you because you didn't bring it about. This new you was given to you by someone from outside of you to make you look new, different than who you used to be. I, 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 I don't know if you've ever heard the name of the drug cartel boss, Luis Carlos de Roca. He was able to evade capture in Brazil for over 30 years. And, and the reason he was able to do this was because each year he would get more and more plastic surgery done on his face. And gradually over time, his face looked more different and more different and more different. And he would always move around in locations, changed face, changed clothes, and nobody knew who he was. He could walk around in the streets and get away because nobody knew that he was the drug boss of this, this major crime syndicate that was smuggling drugs internationally. But, but, but unlike this guy, you can change your name. You can change your location, change the clothes you wear. You can even change your face. But what you do and how you live will always reveal who you are. Because the, the truth of what Paul's trying to communicate as it relates to, to the decisions we make and how we enslave ourselves, who we enslave ourselves to, is that we don't need to see your face to know who you are. Your life tells us all we need to know. He says, he says, but thanks be to God that you used to be a slave to sin, but you're not a slave to sin now because you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. This is, Paul is referring to what many believe to be a summary of ethical teachings that Jesus drew up for instructing new converts. And one of the beautiful things about this here is that Paul relates being an, a, a, a former slave to sin and the new life that you now have in Christ Paul says there is a relationship to being made new with obedience to God's word. 
Do y'all see it? He says, he says, you used to be a slave to sin, but now you have obeyed from the heart the pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. There is a correlation between being made new and knowing how to live for God correctly based on his word, which means that for us, discipleship can't end with just evangelism that results in converts because it doesn't fulfill what Jesus said in Matthew 28 where he said, teach them to obey all that I've commanded. And so here, for the believer, being able to walk in newness of life, being able to actually walk in the new life that God already has given you means that there has to be some teaching, some, some command that has come from the authority of God himself that you are regularly following to make sure that you are actually in line with his will and doing the things that please him. I, I know I say this a lot, but Psalm 119 says, he says, how does a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. I, I, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against it. There is a correlation between being able to walk in the will of God and keeping it according to his word. He says, he says and, and having been set free, there goes that phrase again. He said it earlier last week. He said, says it a couple times in this passage. Having been set free from the tyranny uh, of sin. He said that having been set free, you became enslaved to righteousness, meaning that you transferred from one master to another. Once, once you were saved, at the moment of salvation, the master, your master who was sin, his authority over you was at an end the minute you passed into the authority of another. Meaning the reason that sin now is powerless to hold you, the reason now that you can say no to sin and yes to God is because you have transferred from the authority of sin, you no longer have to obey his commands, to the authority of God. Now you can walk in obedience. He says, he says because you became a slave to righteousness, he says, I'm using a human analogy. Basically, like, I, spiritual things are hard for you to understand. And so I have to use an analogy that you would be familiar with. I have to use this slave master market uh, analogy, different from Americanized slavery, from colonized slavery. So don't get all up in arms and send me an email. Very different, not the same at all in any stretch of the imagination. We can talk about it later if you need more details. But here he's saying there is a social construct that exists in the circles that you live in. And I need to use how you already live as a way to show you what God's word says about the truthfulness of you being set free from sin but being enslaved to God now. Meaning that to be enslaved to God means that you are now obligated to follow him in obedience. Where you were once obligated to follow sin because sin was your master, you now are obligated to walk in holiness. Which means for every Christian, there is a standard of expectation of what your life should look like. That's why it says that, that you have been bought with a price, that your life is no longer your own. You know why? Because you're a slave to righteousness. Which means that when you decided to be a Christian, count the cost. Jesus, again, that freedom to choose, he says, man, you don't just follow me just because everybody else is doing it. Don't just follow me because you think you can just get something easy out of me. He said, you better count the cost. Because being a disciple of Jesus Christ comes with some things. And, and not everybody 
that's telling you what a disciple of Jesus Christ looks like is actually telling you from my word what a disciple looks like. Some of y'all promise, some of these people out here promising you money to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Far from it. I said, carry your cross. Some of y'all promising that you ain't never going to get sick. But guess what? You're going to be just like me and be crucified to yourself daily. He said, some of y'all promising that you're never going to have no problems. But guess what? The world's going to hate you. Your enemies are going to despise you just because you say my name. There is something about being a Christian that ain't popular today. But I'm here to tell you that God's word says that if you follow me, there's an expectation of obedience. And it results in something. Look what he says. He says, this is, this is the result of you following me. This, this is the result of you following me. He says, where you used to be a slave to sin, it brought about more and more lawlessness, which means when you live a life of sin, all it does is produce more sin. All, all you do is sin more and more and more and more and more. Like you don't just stop sinning. You get into deeper and, and greater sin, right? But he says, he says that, that you, again, listen, that used to be you. If you're in Christ, that used to be you, which means for the believer, that shouldn't look like you now. Which means stop getting mad when other Christians check you because you don't look like you're supposed to look. We get all up in, all up in arms because somebody check us because your life don't look how it's supposed to look. Guess what? It's a expert, standard expectation for all of us. My life's supposed to look like that too. I don't, I don't want to hear none of that, like, like don't judge me because God only can judge me. No, that's not true. That, go, back, go back and read. It says... It says, before you take the speck out of somebody else's eye, get the log out of your own eye. Now, did it say don't get the speck out their eye? No. It just said make sure you got the log out your eye before. Yeah, I don't need no amens. I'm in the text. <laughs> he says, he says now, now. For those who were slaves to impurity, it was greater, greater lawlessness. But now that you offer yourselves to righteousness as a slave to righteousness, it results in sanctification. It results in a life that looks more and more like Jesus. It results in wholeness. It results in healing. It results in, 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 in uh, holiness. He says that, that's, that's the reward for the Christian. He says when, when you walk in righteousness, your reward is holiness. question you got to ask yourself is, is holiness enough for you? Are you satisfied if all you get is to be closer with Jesus? If at the end of the day, that's all you got to offer is a, a, a relationship that's oozing with the presence of God. Is that, is that enough for you? He says, he said it results in sanctification for when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness, meaning that you, you like righteousness had no command over you. You couldn't obey, obey God's word if you wanted to when you were a slave to sin. It's like there's nothing you could do to please God. We'll get to that in Romans chapter 8 later. He says, so what was the fruit or what fruit was produced from the things that you are now ashamed of? He's saying that a, a life of sin only produces shame. So what fruit do you take from that? What benefit is there when only shame is produced? But he says, he says again, he says, the outcome of those things is death. So the, the life of sin produces shame, and shame leads to greater, or, or sin uh, produces uh, more and more lawlessness, which leads to shame, which 
the outcome of death. But verse 23, he adds another but now clause because he's trying to. And Paul might get very repetitive in this section because it's serious. And what he's trying to get us to understand is important. And so he keeps he keeps contrasting your old life with how things are now, how you used to be with the expectation of what it's supposed to look like now, that your life is supposed to look different. Your life is supposed to look different. Stop trying to fit in with the world. You can't do what they do. You can't dress like they dress and talk like they talk, but you want to be cool. You want to be in the cool kids club like we still in high school. You worried about what everybody going to say about you. You, you, you think people just going to talk like, so what they talk people don't, like, listen, if you don't love God, you already don't like the church. We know why the church is a target right now. That ain't nothing new. That ain't nothing new. Your life is supposed to look different. He says, he says, but, but now since you've been set free, there's that phrase again, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, he said, you have your fruit. You have your fruit, which results in sanctification. And the outcome, unlike the outcome of death, he says, this outcome, this outcome is life. He says, this outcome is eternal life. Jesus already defines what eternal life is for us in, 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 in John chapter 17. He says, he says that eternal life is the one who knows the son and knows the father through the son. He says, that's eternal life, the ones that know God. And if you know God, like John writes in 1 John chapter 3, if you know God, then your life won't be a pattern of sin. For how can the one who knows God or says that he loves God live a life of a pattern of sin? It's not possible. If your life, if the fruit of your life is a pattern of sin, let me break it to you. You may not be a Christian. You know, sometimes we got to ask ourselves that question or ask people within the church that question. Like we're afraid to ask people whether or not they're actually a Christian because we don't want to offend them. Knowing good and well, Jesus said that it's going to be wheat and tear. And when he returns, you're not going to be able to know which one is which because they're going to be so intertwined. Since we got to we got to we got to know that life. Obedience to God's word leads to life, eternal life. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And here Paul, he just, he just contrasts this idea of, of wages versus a gift. He said where, where, where the master sin makes you earn, the gracious God gives you a gift. And, and, and where the master sin makes you earn death, because that's what sin leads to, death, the gracious God who gives the gift gives you eternal life. Eternal joy. Eternal peace. Being in his presence eternally. It's what God offers you. And guess what? You don't have to earn it. Better yet, you can't earn it. He said it's, it comes freely as a gracious gift that God gives to us when he lavished his son on us. Romans chapter 8 says that he emptied the storehouses of heaven 
when he gave Jesus to us so that we could experience the fullness of life. He says, he says, guess what? If you know him, if you know him, that life is yours. If you know him, then you have something great to look forward to. But, but if you don't know him, his return will be the most terrible day that you could ever imagine. And what you would, what you've stored up for yourself will result in nothing but death. And if you think physical death is bad, imagine an eternity separated from God, who is life. It's Paul here, he's saying, he's saying to us, he's, he's communicating to us through this word, through this text, that how you live right now, how you live right now today, it matters. How you live matters. Each moment and each decision that you make that builds the life that you live, it matters. And for the believer, that life that you live now that should matter should look different. And not only should it look different, because sometimes we hear it should look different and we get bogged down with try, trying to try more. Guess what? Like, let's go back to last week. You have to first believe the truth of God's words that said that you are free from sin. Write it down in your book. You can say no to sin. You can say no to sin. And you should say no to sin because you've been built for better. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray that we would be a people, oh God, who hear your word, but don't just stop there at hearing, but are doers of your word. That's what separates those who truly know you and those who truly love you and those that don't. It's not that they hear. Many, many hear the word of God, but there are few doers. Help us, O oh God, to be in that number, those who respond by faith to your word in obedience, those who lean upon the spirit for guidance and for the power to say yes to God and no to sin. Help us to know that even when temptation and difficulty comes, we are not bound to sin, but we are bound to righteousness. And the new life, God, that you have given us in your son, that you've already given us in your son, is ours when we walk in that obedience. And so, Father, we pray that you would strengthen us, your people, today. Help us to look distinct in this world, that others may see our love for one another and know that we're your disciples. This we pray in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual